love that here. Welcome to Cat Pick Fridays, episode number 57. I always have to cheat the number because I always keep forgetting what number we're at. And obviously, this is a show that brings you the latest and the greatest in guitar and music industry news, commentaries, reacting to your rigs, uh, roasting your rigs, uh, and all things rigs and pedals and amps and guitars. And I have absolutely no idea why I'm going with this. As I mentioned, I'm Vlad, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, who ce celebrated a hundredth episode with another this type of show. Technically, it's not a podcast; it's more like a live stream thing. It's Richard Morgan, obviously, and Rich. The question is, will that be the last hundred episode anniversary you're going to separate? Celebrate? I told you this question will be bad, and it is bad. Yeah. But we're gonna roll with it. Mm -hmm. Unlikely, Vlad. <laughs> it's very unlikely. And that's all I have to say on, on that question. Yeah, we're going to stick with that. Um, <laughs> oh, man. It was a good show, it's though. It's been a busy week, and you can kind of tell, like, the quality of my jokes isn't, like, that hard to begin with. And then right now it's, like, <laughs> it's way lower than yeah. the, even the average. So I'm sorry. Really? I'm not sorry. Yeah, you should shoot this show on a Monday because then we'd have the weekend to write funny material instead of yeah. kind of emotionally and physically draining ourselves throughout the week, then shooting this on Friday and just being kind of spent. But yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe so, something spontaneously like, funny will crop up at some point. That's true. Maybe even I know one thing is going to be funny. On Monday. Yeah. Some, some on Friday, like Monday we'll shoot all the funny bits and on Friday we'll shoot all the news. So we're like semi on time with those because that just keeps happening. We release the show and like five minutes later, something cool comes up. But that's how it goes, unfortunately. And at this point, I also want to thank you for liking, sharing, subscribing, listening to the show on YouTube and or Apple Podcast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Ways to support what we do, merch and stuff like that in the show notes as well unlikely mugs and bunch of other stuff as well it's there back show as always we're gonna start with some sad stuff with uh, taylor hawkins for example and pretty quickly move on from that to some surprising but exciting stuff with mark Tremonti's sinatra album and a bunch of gear and also a few podcasts we want to discuss and things like that and let us not spend more time on talking here and just dive into the things that have happened recently, also known as recent happenings. Yeah, as I mentioned, we unfortunately have to start with some sad news because last, I think for us, the news broke last Saturday morning, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, this was interesting. Like, this was an interesting experience in the sense that we, like me and my family, were visiting our friends. We stayed overnight and like wake up, woke up in the morning. And, like both of our friends are huge, huge Foo Fighter fans. And like, I woke up and my friend like. I walked into the kitchen. He was like, hey, did you notice that Taylor Hawkins has passed? I was like, what? 
And we then we started discussing the news. And man, I guess it, in a way it was great to have friends who also fe- felt that quite a lot. Yeah. But yeah, sad, sad news. At the age of 50, that, that's young. Incredibly young. And of course, he leaves behind a wife and two teenage children. So, yeah, yeah, that's also terrible. Yeah, but I guess like we don't want to dive into some of the aspects of his passing, like as some people want like to do. But instead, we kind of want to. Uh, maybe talk about his importance to the whole music industry in general and like just on a personal level, I, I don't think I've ever talked about this, but he was like one of my favorite drummers, like Foo Fighters and what Dave Grohl has been doing over the years. It, like uh, him, like both Dave and then Taylor's playing have been incredibly influential on me and like if you listen to a bunch of my songs I've written for my channel like a lot of them are very full fighter-ish and that includes drums as well so yeah yeah and I think very hard yeah I, I can imagine I mean it hit so many people very hard I found out about this news on Saturday morning European time as well and that's yep. because it was the headline on the BBC website. So, oh. you know, this the Foo Fighters transcend alternative rock. They are a mainstream, massive, you know, multi Grammy winning band, and it was a a major shock and a major a major thing. And lots has been said about what's happened and Taylor Hawkins' death. And I think that now, now the initial shock has gone. The sadness remains and will always remain, but. I think what we can try and start to do now is also try and look back and celebrate the amazing things that he did because he was an incredible drummer. I mean, imagine yeah. going to that audition for the Foo Fighters and you have to convince <laughs> Dave Grohl that you're going to be the drummer yeah. in his band. And Taylor Hawkins did it. Yeah, that that's the thing. Uh, one of my favorite quotes I've seen on his passing was that Taylor Hawkins was probably the only drummer where you didn't, like, when they were playing, you didn't uh, start thinking, like, oh, I wish Dave was playing the drums. Like, imagine, yeah. like, what kind of, like, honor that kind of, that is, because Dave is very, very highly regarded as a drummer. And the fact that, like, I feel everyone, like, there wasn't a point in Foo Fighters history where somebody would go, like, oh, man, I wish Dave would play the drums instead. That's how good he was. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they fit so well together as well, the two yeah. of them. They were, they, they were great, close friends, the best of friends. I always thought they looked physically similar off stage <laughs> and also on, well. <laughs> you know, both hugely passionate drummers. And you can both see that they were always having the most amazing time when behind the kit or also in front of because Taylor Hawkins used to get out from behind the drum kit and sing as well. He had a, he had a great voice. He had his own musical projects and bands as well. He was a super all-round talented musician. You know, credits yeah. on writing for a bunch of Foo Fighters songs as well. He could do it all. Yeah. And, and this Music Radar article that you've got up on the screen there, is- Vlad, I think is 
one that I would recommend a lot of people read because yes. it's a tribute to Taylor Hawkins going through some of his career, what he's done, what he achieved. It's been done really nicely. So I would recommend you guys read that. The link is going to be down in the the show notes in the description. Yeah. Exactly. And just like to get a glimpse of like Dave's and Taylor's kind of chemistry. Uh I think what was the documentary called they did? Was it Sound City? Or well, well they basically got went through different cities and kind of wrote a, and recorded a song there. Uh there's a clip from that show which is called Le- Foo Fighters Lead Symbolist. Well basically like I think that they're recording drums and like Dave is playing like the hi-hat and the cymbals, and then Taylor is doing just the kick and the draw, kick and the snare, and they're like playing together and they joke like, hey, Dave is auditioning to be the lead cymbalist for the band. It's just <laughs> hilarious. The chemistry was amazing. It's like this article is really, really well done uh, because, yeah, you kind of get a glimpse of the history of Taylor, like where he started, how he progressed, and then just, how it all evolved over the years. I think this is really, really well done. And Yeah, and of course, yeah. d- don't forget that before the Foo Fighters, he was not just some drummer. He was playing drums yeah. for the likes of Alanis Morissette. And back then yeah. in the mid-late 90s, Alanis Morissette was one of the biggest things out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, uh, There's a clip of him playing Tom Sawyer by Rush as well which isn't yeah. the easiest song to play on drums. and Oh, no. Yeah. Like, yeah he so. made all of that look so easy. That That's one of the things. Like with, When Dave plays, you can kind of, with just his motions, you can see the power, like how hard he hits and how, like the intensity in that way. But with Taylor, it was like, he, he felt like he was free to kind of do whatever he wanted in any moment. And it looked smooth and like, he, he to me he always seemed like a surf guy. There was like kind of that chi- chillness, or what, however you want to describe it, with him where he like, yeah, yeah, I can do this, and then he would just play amazingly, no matter what kind of thing you th- threw at him. So that's just incredible skill, but he made it look very very easy. And he did, yeah, I, he absolutely did, and he will leave a a, a massive hole in the. In the scene, in in music, yeah. and also in the Foo Fighters, and of course they've cancelled all their upcoming shows. And yeah. who knows if they will reform, and who they would ever find that could fill the mm-hmm. drum stool that Taylor Hawkins left behind. Yeah, that's the question. I don't think, or I hope nobody kind of is rushing them to answer like whether they will continue. This, I mean. This band was a family for 20 plus years. And like this was like pretty much all the members. Well, the keyboard player is a more recent one, but otherwise it's like they they had been together for 20 years at least. So yeah, I think 97 maybe. Taylor Hawkins yeah. joined the band. So 25 years this year. Yeah. That's the thing. So it's not like Dave and then some guys he hired. It's a family thing and... Exactly, yeah, that, yeah. That's what makes it sad. Yeah, there's so many great YouTube clips in this article. I think you should check them out. Uh, by the way, have you ever listened to his solo band? He's like a really good singer and I, I 
I'm trying to remember what his band's name was, but I actually kind of enjoyed the first album he released. It's been some years already when that came out. Yeah, no, I haven't really listened to it much, I must confess, but I will now. I mean, it's definitely going to be worth it. Of course, Spotify was pushing that music to me a lot this week because everyone <laughs> is listening to Foo Fighters sure. and Taylor Hawkins. So, yeah, I'll be giving it a try. Yeah. But yeah, just very sad news. And uh, I'm not even going to guess whether they decide to continue as a band or not. I would understand it both ways, to be honest. Also, like, the horrible thing is, like, this is a second, like, close friend and, like, a bandmate Dave has lost. And... Yep. If he if he feels he doesn't want to do this again, I completely understand as well. So, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, uh, for those watching and listening, what's your favorite? Uh, I guess Foo Fighters moment, for example, we'd love to know. I think I guess we kind of listed some. Uh, I've been fortunate to see them live once, and that was just great. Uh, we were like fairly far away but like just being part of that sea of people just jamming along with the band was so much fun and got to see a Finnish rock and roll hero Michael Monroe join them on stage for many many songs as well it was super cool so at least I have I'll always have that memory and a few video clips on my phone as well so that's fun yeah but yeah from that to Something that was also surprising, but uh, again, <laughs> way more positive, or like may, way more uplifting, I'd, I'd say. And uh, that is Mark Tremonti announcing a Frank Sinatra cover album. And it's done in support for the National Down Syndrome Society. Mark's own daughter uh, has Down Syndrome and. He, I I just love this. He put so much time and effort into this, and I hope it will raise a lot of money for the course, which is a very very important course. As well, um, yeah, just uh, there's few videos actually available online, like few songs that he has already released, and I, I honestly I'm shocked how good of a job he's done. Just incredible. Like I, I didn't. Re I've never realized like he's fairly in the same range as Sinatra is. But ju just the fact that Mark is what he's getting closer to fifties, and I've been following Older Bridge. Uh, I, I wasn't a huge fan of Creed back in the day, but I've been following Older Bridge since like early two thousands. Uh, I think two thousand four was their first album or something like that, and. Like he didn't sing then, he he didn't sing at the time. Like especially like may, maybe some back backing vocals every now and then. But on the first album, I don't think he even like if you watch the live shows, they did uh, after the first album, he didn't even sing sing backing vocals live. Uh, on the second album, he started to do that a little bit, and like the guy in his like late thirties started to like 
practice and decided to become a singer, which then led to him, first of all, like lead singing some of the songs on the Alder Bridge albums. He's released now two or three solo albums. And now he put an incredible amount of time and effort in to learn how to sing like Sinatra. <laughs> and it's just, I'm kind of in awe. <laughs> just, yeah, I've not heard any of these yet, but to do Sinatra is, uh, that's probably quite a tricky one. I mean, obviously Sinatra oh, has yeah. a legendary voice, this uh, exactly. warm baritone. And of course, Mark Tremonti is already in the right territory to do that, mm. as you said. But yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing this. The The album comes out on May the 27th, but there's already some stuff out there that you can listen to. So I shall be doing that this weekend. This is for a great cause as well, of course. And yeah. so, yeah, well done, Mark Tremonti. It is actually yeah. also funny how um, he started taking on more vocals with Alter Bridge. And at the same time, Miles is doing more lead guitar stuff. I feel like in mm -hmm. that band, they're always pushing one another to get to higher levels with their instruments, be it vocals or guitars or whatever. So it's, uh, it's really cool to see. Yeah, like, it's funny that uh, Miles like almost hid his guitar playing during their first tour. I think they were like doing their first tour and like they like found him somewhere jamming. Like in like a rehearsal room or something. Like, hey, wait, you can play guitar this well? Why didn't you tell us? <laughs> and then they kind of pushed him to play. And he's just, he's an amazing guitar player as well. Like, yeah. Yeah. But, but that's again, the like when you find the right people around you, that's what happens. They just push each other to get better. And uh, oh, by the way, I should have mentioned that the album who Mark recorded uh, like he like the surviving band members of the original Sinatra band are actually playing on that album and there's a That's cool clip on YouTube cool. yeah and there's a clip on YouTube where they're recording the whole thing I think they recorded those songs live as well which is incredible and the band leader like after recording one song, like the band leader comes and says, like, "Hey, hey, good job! You really did your homework," and that's probably the best compliment you can get when doing a project like this. Just super inspiring stuff. So, yeah, well done, Mark. Well done. And some more pe people news. I don't know how to categorize like that. <laughs> categorize this. Just ignore me for a couple for the past ten seconds or so. Uh, boss President Yoshi Ikegami announces retirement from the role at the Effects Giant. We're checking out the musicreator.com article. And yeah, incredible story. He began his career working on the Roland assembly line and yeah, worked his way up to be the president of the company. So, yeah, a true success story. He was with oh, yes. the company for 44 years. And he was president for the <laughs> wow. last 20. And if you look at the pictures of him, and if you've seen him in person, you would never think that he's been working anywhere, let alone living on this planet for 44 years. He's aged yeah. so well. But yeah, this is kind of, this is a sort of industry specific thing. But I think many people who play guitars and know their gear are familiar with Yoshi. He's, you know, he's done so much in his time there. He's been responsible and taken the lead on so many legendary Roland and Boss products and 
he leaves as a legend. And I think he will be still kind of involved in a sort of consultancy role for the company. So they mm. still will take advantage of his gigantic pools of wisdom that he has and ask him about stuff. But yeah, he's retiring. He's stepping down. Going to be interesting to see who follows in his footsteps. I don't think that's been announced yet. I don't think so. But those are some big shoes to fill. They absolutely are. Yep. The whole company has just been an incredible success over these years. So Yeah, and they're just well they done. continue to knock it out of the park, you know. Just last week we had yeah. the massive space echo release, which is doing bits all over the internet and seems to be very, very popular. So he's got that spot on. You know, they've done some great collaborations recently with other pedal companies like JHS and they did the the solar tone bender pedal and stuff. They're just on it. Yeah. They're totally on it. And you see them all over professional players' boards everywhere. Incredible yeah, stuff. It's quite the achievement to be this, like still be this relevant. Maybe even like at the top of the whole pedal and effects game, like in the whole music industry. They're, they're probably the biggest company doing that as well. So, Yeah, I mean, if you, uh, yeah, if you discount big boys like Fender and Gibson in terms of pedals, in terms mm. of technology and stuff, Roland Boss, it's probably one of the biggest. In terms of pedals yeah. exclusively, I don't think anyone sells more pedals than Boss. Nope. Yeah, yep. And the fact that you have the reputation of the pedals being just great quality, great sounding, uh, really like they, they stand the test of time and they're sturdy. So like when you buy something from Boss, it's well built and it's going to last you a long time. Yeah, so. exactly. And yeah, this is a true success story from down at the bottom all the way through to president of one of the biggest companies in this industry. So I'm not sure if Yoshi listens to our little podcast or watches <laughs> Camping Fridays, but if by any by you know, chance you do, yeah, congratulations on everything that you've done and have a long, successful and happy retirement. Yeah, man. I wish I. I don't I, think he watches. I, I will look at sharp, <laughs> sharp and young as he does at his age. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, like not not gonna dive into Japanese Japanese like food or anything like that. But maybe there's something in in eating more seafood or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know where I'm going with this. Uh, from from Boss News to Fender Frontman 20G. 20G. That's an interesting yeah. name for them. Uh, I like that Gear News asked, uh, like basically they're asking whether it offers some awful tones or it's really amazing. So yeah, this is a very sarcastic what? article by Gear News. <laughs> It's funny, and I just want to take you back, Vlad, to the end of last week's show, where we Let's both gave our gear-based predictions for the next week, and I can't remember what you said, because I have a terrible memory, but I remember saying Fender is going to drop a new amp next week, and I said Ooh. it would be a Tone Master, but actually it's it's this, but I still count that as a win. So, well done me. <laughs> what was your prediction? Well done you. I think I pre predicted a transparent overdrive, which is, was a bad prediction, now that I think of it. Oh, it's, it's too boring. Wait for yeah, it. We've got a couple of pedals to come. I don't know if there's a transparent true. drive, but there is a drive. That's that's very true. 
Um, anyway, the front man, 20G. Wasp in a beer can tone is the second question that Gear News asked there. Have you watched the video, Vlad? Unfortunately, I haven't. So There is, if you like scroll down the, the article there, there is an official Fender video and this is not, I don't know, it's not their finest hour in terms of tone. Of course, it couldn't be for this price <laughs> and this size, etc., etc. But um, what a lot of the comments yeah. seem to be alluding to on the YouTube video itself is the fact that Fender haven't really focused on their strengths in the video. Mm. So there's no sparkly, clean tones or anything like that. There's a lot of focus on oh. the drive sounds. And from what you can hear from the video, this doesn't sound like the best amp for overdrive tones. Notice yeah. how I had to take a small pause there before I <laughs> described it. But um, I think we should just get some choice quotes from this article to see how Gear News feel yeah. about it. Bear in mind that Gear News is owned by Toman and does affiliate links, and it's in their interests, therefore, to sell as many of these amps as possible. That is very true. Scroll up to the top of the article, Vlad. We've got things like... Um, <laughs> This new Fender Frontman 20G attempts to make practice enjoyable, but somehow misses the point. Could this 20-watt mini-amp sound any worse? <laughs> what? <laughs> and then the next really subheading is truly awful, truly awful, or hipster gold. And then the author writes that he had a Squire 15-watt practice amp as a young man, his first new amp. You could buy them roughly for 100 British pounds in the mid-80s. This new friend of... Un Fender Frontman 20G model reminds me of that very amp, except that it actually sounds worse. <laughs> oh, wow. The official Fender uh, demo video, and I'm quoting the article here, sounds yeah. somewhere between a buzzy hipster tone or just plain nasty. So, yeah. <laughs> Pulling so no like punches with this article. Review, I guess. Yeah. So. I mean... It, Clearly, the um, clearly the author has some experience with this amp and has some kind of also oh, traumatic seems. childhood experiences based <laughs> upon it. I think the eight-inch speaker in this amp is definitely uh, playing a part in that tinniness. I still think they'll sell a boatload of these because you know these little Fender combos are what a lot of people want. Yep, that's the thing. Like, I'd like to think a company big as. As big as Fender have done their research, so they just yeah, it's like this is going. They they wouldn't bring it out if it hadn't gone through a solid R and D process. Yeah, and they do the offer other amplifiers in this price point. You know, you've got the um, mm. the one, the mini one, the name of which I've forgotten. But you've got the whole Mustang <laughs> range. Oh, it's mini Mustang, isn't it? Yeah. Of course, the, yeah. the little plug-in one, which um, is about 120, 130, and by all accounts, sounds fantastic. So I think what would yeah. be quite cool is if some people purchased this amp and tried to make it sound better than a wasp in a beer can, because I'm sure <laughs> that there are some better tones in there somewhere, but we just haven't heard them yeah. yet. Yeah. Well, technically, I haven't heard anything yet, so... Yeah, it's a shame Maybe you I haven't I seen this video, because it's, it's, it's really good. It's well made, it's well presented, but it's just, um, yeah, interesting sounds. I just hit play and listen to the first three seconds. Yeah, it's very buzzy. Why did they mic it up that way? 
Interesting. Yeah. 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 I think we need to have some like real life experience and try it out ourselves to find out if it's actually that buzzy. Yeah, this is one of the products that we talk about where we will actually be able to try it because this will be in every That's music true. shop pretty much. So yeah, let's test it out, come back and pool our experiences at some point. Yes, we'll let you know whether it does actually sound like a wasp in a beer can. So really looking forward to that test. Maybe we need to do a comparison, catch a wasp. Once, it, once the summer hits, we need to catch a wasp, put it in a beer can. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the best worst video ideas I've had for a while yeah moving on from wasps to other stuff I can imagine uh, I Jeez. can imagine you doing that video and then Jim Lil doing a like a companion video to it in his new mm. kind of concept that he has like which kind of flying insect has the best tone when put inside a beer can <laughs> uh, which beer can sounds best and so there'll yes. be a wasp and that's a the bumblebee size of the beer can and a honeybee yeah. and other varieties of flying things that sting you. And yeah, yeah the, that's the, the brand of the beer, beer can, can affect the tone. Was the beer can washed after you drank its contents or have you left the, the goop inside? It's uh, so many questions. Yes, we need someone to answer those. Yeah, from beer, beer cans and wasps to Fender Japan guitars. They've unveiled the Japan Junior Collection of 24-inch scale Strats, Tellies, and Jazzmaster models. And that is interesting. So Pretty it's cool, huh? That it's basically just a bit more, I guess, kid-friendly with the shorter scales. When, when the yeah. scale is shorter, like, it's also easier to play, I guess. Yeah, I mean, but. it's... 20, 24 inch scale length as opposed to the standard 25.5 for Fender so overall not yeah. a huge size but will make a big difference when playing but the interesting mm. thing about these is that they have a 42 millimeter nut width so the, the neck width is the same so yeah, they're just super cool yeah I, I've been fortunate enough to try a really high quality Strat that had a 24.75 inch scale, so like the Gibson one, I guess. And it just feels really cool to play. It's different. It sounds a bit different. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that guitar. So this could be fun to try out. Uh, if it's Japanese made, though, it's not that affordable. I'm going to Probably guess. not, no. But just look at that Jazzmaster. That is. Yeah. Uh, a Sign beautiful looking thing. Fun, We've got shell pink here and um, maple necks. A bunch of nice modern colors there. There's even a short scale bass, which has a 30 inch scale as opposed to the standard Fender 34. Yeah. These just look like a super cool way for children and people with smaller hands, maybe. Shorter arms, mm. if you will, to get into this kind of thing. A really nice idea. It'll be interesting to see the prices, to see if they are kind of affordable, but you would guess that these would also be a step up in quality compared to uh, a Squire Classic Vibe or similar. Oh yeah, they most of them they will. So it's not it's not going to be like a super affordable. But then again, if you get your kid a really good instrument to be like to start with, they're gonna thank you later. I think this is just 
removes a lot of the things that kind of bug the more affordable instruments. Or the fret yeah. work. Like if the fret work and everything like that is done well, it's just going to be so much more enjoyable to play. Simple as that, really. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just looking nice. at the article, the prices for these models start at around 120,000 yen, which is approximately $980. So, sub a thousand, but still a decent yep. chunk of cash. But the specs are decent. If you look through yeah. the article, that these guitars are made of decent woods, they have decent pickups, they have nice necks, you know, the 24-inch scale length, but you have a 9.5-inch radius, so nice and easy to play. I'm sure these are going to be really fun. Uh, we'll see if this find their way to any stores near us. Would love to try them out. Yep. Um, yeah. From Fender's to something that is owned by Fender, Gretsch released some more new guitars. Well, are they all baritones? No, but there's no. more automatic jet. There's a jet baritone guitar and... Oh, they're, they're basically getting refreshed for 2022. I'm getting mixed up with the Gretsch models because a few weeks ago, <coughs> they released so many guitars. And I think some baritones were included as well, but <clears throat> now this is kind of a separate thing, maybe. Yeah, the, these are the most affordable Gretsch guitars that you can ah, get. The electromatics are the, uh, the budget Gretsch line. And yeah, this see, is that's why I got confused. Yeah, exactly. And this is a refresh kind of for the line for 2022. So these are not all brand new models, but just new specs, new colorways, new features, and they look cool. Yeah. What are the prices? Roughly 488 for the uh, electromatic baritones. Man, I'd like to try this out. The left hand I would love as well, to, but they. Sorry. Yeah, carry on. Uh, there's the left hand, the left hand models as well, but they are hundred dollars more. So lefties get puni punished. I can, I, yeah. I don't know how to feel about the whole lefty guitar thing. Some people are very passionate about it. Some people are not. So yeah, it's um, it's definitely an issue with lots of brands. I mean, it's great when yeah. brands do it because obviously left-handed players are, um, you know, stigmatized. They have far less choice mm. when it comes to instruments. And when you see something like this, which is all kind of you know made with machinery, CNC'd or whatever. Mm. And it's a hundred euro, hundred euros or a hundred dollars more. It kind of feels like they're just sticking an extra bit of money on it because it's left-handed and therefore more limited. But at the same yeah. time, if you're making less of them, then it costs more to produce. So you can understand it from that context. But yeah, left-handed players are are victimized a bit. Yeah, but I, uh, I think Dan from Ibanez has talked about this quite a lot on the podcast they do with Andy. Guitar Geek. And yeah. yeah, I think he has just mentioned that uh, there's a, like a very, very vocal minority even within the left-handed guitar players community that are kind of always offended 
when there's not a left-hand option. But then when company puts out a left-hand option, very few people actually buy it. So it's a difficult thing to do. Like you want to serve all the customers, but then also like when you really put an emphasis in creating like left-handed options, not a lot of people actually end up buying those. So Yeah, oh, it's the standard thing when working in this uh, industry, you know, you get so many people saying, oh, if you only made this, 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 and this, or changed <laughs> these few little features about something, you'd have a top seller, and then a brand might make it, yeah. and no one buys the product. And it's just, you know, yeah. I think generally the people at the companies know what they're doing. Yeah, I'd like to think so as well. Um, I'm happy that I work I, for an amp company, and it doesn't really matter which hand you use, because they're all kind of the same. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's true as well. Like, I, I have never seen a left-handed amp. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that makes it easier. I have, like, there was the Berigen Telecaster that well, that was released some weeks ago. I think it was part of the Square 40th anniversary range. I don't know which one, one I would get. Like, the Gritch Baritone is, like, roughly the same price range as the Tele. And I honestly don't know which one I would want more because these also look kind of cool. I think they do look some... cool. That's a really interesting point, though. I mean, obviously, this is the same parent company now as well. And those are going to be True. competing with each other because I'm still looking for a baritone. I've been looking for ages mm. for a nice, affordable one. And I think you are as well, Vlad, aren't you? So yeah, we're both genuinely interested in purchasing one of these. I'm really not sure. And... Because I've never owned a baritone, I'll have to test them all out. I've also yeah. been looking a lot at... Um, are you familiar with the Revolta brand? Uh, somewhat. Yeah, they have a bunch of really cool sort of 60s-inspired models and a few baritones there, mm. and they look fantastic. They really attract me visually, but in this part of the world, you just you just can't find them. You just don't get them to play. And yeah. There's always one or two for sale on the local eBay marketplace or whatever, <laughs> but it's like close to a thousand euros and it's like, do you take the risk? Or if one comes up in my region, I might go try it, but otherwise I'm looking at Squires and Gretches, this kind of thing. These look yeah. cool, but I feel like I would personally edge more towards a Squire. But that's... Yeah. That's just through sort of some weird kind of brand loyalty. There's no logic in that decision. It's just mm. the way I feel at this moment in time. Yeah, to me, I think it might come down to just the fact that I love tellies. And it's always just, like, I'm not going to regret getting a baritone telecaster. And I'm not most likely not going to move on from it. So yeah, maybe it just comes down to that. Or if I yeah. get to compare this in a store, maybe I'll just absolutely fall in love with one of the Gretches. Uh, that in reminds any case, me, Defender brand wins. So good for it. It does. Yeah, Fender gets the money at the end of the day. But that reminds me that yeah. when I was at my um, photo shoot at a regional music store recently for Blue Guitar, there was mm. a Gretsch baritone there, and it was. I think it must have been an electromatic. It didn't have any information on what it was, but it was kind of a satin, silvery gray color, similar in terms of features and pickups and the V-shaped tailpiece to the one you're just looking at there. I think it was about 550 euros. So maybe it was the, the not yet refreshed version of this guitar. And it played very yeah. nicely. I really enjoyed playing it. I just kind of would have wanted to have a Squire next to it so I could directly do a bit of a comparison. Yeah. But I was impressed with that guitar. It played very nicely. 
another guitar I'd love to try out maybe one day but from guitars to a podcast and so we are talking about so you are listening to a podcast where we talk about a podcast podcastception something like that uh, I'm not tired you're tired but yeah basically Strymon has a podcast now and it's called Strycast the Strycast <laughs> what do you think of the name first of all um, I like it I think it's tongue in cheek I reckon they had yeah, a couple of meetings about what should we call the podcast what can we come up with and jokingly someone said let's call it Strycast and that just ended up being the one or maybe yeah, there is a massive maybe. Stray Cats fan among them somewhere mm. and they said it because of that it almost sounds like the Stray Cats and they ended up going with it but yeah yeah, it's a name yeah it's a name. I mean, the first episode. If is you out, if you pick uh, apart the names of podcasts like Cat Pick Fridays, it's kind of like, hmm, where did that one come from? Yeah, that's true. That that's the thing. So, but yeah. Anyway, the Strikecast is here. We shouldn't be talking about it because technically it's it's competition. People only have so is. many hours in the day to listen to musical podcasts, but. I've listened to true. and watched the first Strymon one, first Strycast. It features their kind of legendary, iconic lead designer, Pete Selly, who you'll know from a lot of the Strymon videos because he demos and talks about a lot of the stuff. Stuff? That's not a word. Stuff. And stop. Yeah. It's nice. It's nicely done. It's an interesting chat. And I, I would urge anyone who has some listening time that they wish to fill after they've finished Cat Pick Fridays this weekend mm -hmm. to give the Strycast a bit of a go because it's, it's quite nice, quite fun. Yeah. Uh, what I found interesting was that you can actually leave, like you can obviously email them questions, but you can leave a voicemail as well, which... Yeah, I also really like that. There's literally a telephone number where you can call them up and say stuff. Yeah. We should do I, that. Yeah, the thing is like... I have a suspicion a lot of people will start trolling them, but maybe that's oh, like, yeah. if someone's job is to just sit and go through the voicemails, maybe that's actually kind of fun way to spend a day. <laughs> or maybe it's a horrible <laughs> way to spend the day. No, don't know yet. We shall see. But yeah, yeah, the podcast looked and sounded great and it's interesting to get the legendary Peter Seely. Is that how you pronounce the last name? See, I went with Selly, and I know that Selly. his name is repeatedly spoken in the episode which I just listened to the other day, but <laughs> yeah, I'm going with Selly. Yeah, let's go with that one. But yeah, but yeah this will like, be one to follow up in future because, you know, being Strymon, of course, top of the range pedals, top of the line stuff, and of course, they can get a bunch of pretty amazing artists on, theoretically at least, to talk about their stuff. So... Watch out for this one getting a lot bigger in the near future, I think. If they stick with it, because that's always the thing if with podcasts, isn't it? You've got to stick to it, make it a regular thing. Yeah, I have seen, like, just recently done some research and there's a lot of companies who started doing a podcast and then yeah. when you check their feed, their previous episode was released two and a half years ago. <laughs> so <laughs> Consistency, that's probably the most difficult thing. As we learned, that's definitely the thing. Friday, I know. the past years, years old. So, 
Yeah. And one final point about this is um, I find it interesting that Strymon are doing this because it's kind of they're opening themselves up a lot more because in lots of ways I feel like there was a lot of mystery around Strymon as a mm. brand to me. You know, they, they don't indulge in the same kind of YouTube stuff as a lot of the other brands do. They don't tend to work with so-called influencers and anything like that. And so doing a podcast is kind of a step in them, I think, opening up to more of the guitar playing public makes them more accessible. And if this is a successful thing, I mm. think it could really help them in terms of sales too. Yeah. And so it, it always helps to, to have like faces for the company people recognize yeah, everywhere instead of just like official demos like even official demos with people in them don't do the same thing like and especially like answering people's questions could be a super interesting thing in the future so we'll keep an answering voicemails yes exactly <laughs> going through those vo voicemails possibly really funny but you never know anyway from that <laughs> to Camper news, and you can now control your camper with your phone using the new Profiler Rig Manager iOS app. That just rolls off the tongue. Profiler Rig Manager is a beautiful name for, for a product. I didn't know Camper had Bluetooth, to be honest, but out of all the Marvelous, I think I'm least familiar with anything Camper. Other than, remember, like when it came out, people were doing a lot of comparisons between like what are the oh yeah just profiles versus the real thing type of stuff yeah that's the only thing i remember when it was yeah released some years ago but this is cool like i love the fact that a lot of these products seem to be designed in a way where when designing the product they were thinking of usability and everything like they had a roadmap what they want to add in the future and they designed the physical product in a way where they can then add stuff, as you can tell with the helixes and XFX stuff. And this, well, XFX actually doesn't get that much credit from me because they, like, back in the day when they re released the first version and then they released the Mark II, and most of the stuff that was in Mark II wasn't available for Mark I, and a lot of people were angry about that, but it's a whole different story. That was many years ago already, so... Yeah. But, yeah, this is cool. Again, yeah, I'm I mean, the, the, the there's not too much to Guitar say about World. it, is there? I mean, finally, yeah, Kemper got an app. Kemper now. <laughs> yeah, I think it's iOS only for the moment, but that's uh, okay. Android should be on yeah. the way. I mean, again, nice. from my history working with companies, I know why companies go with iOS apps only because it's far easier to manage than the kind of the vast array of Android operating systems that you have to look after if you do an Android app. So I totally get that. But it does kind of, if it's iOS only, you do alienate a lot of players. But yeah. there we go. I mean, if yeah, the opportunity nice. is there to use an app, I think a bunch of players are going to do it, especially if they're using the, uh, the Kemper floor unit as in the picture mm. that we're looking at there. You don't have to bend down anymore. You can use your phone. Yeah. Uh, I love the Bluetooth option because I've literally done a thing with... Uh, I was using a uh, the two notes Cab M that you can also control by Bluetooth. And I think there was a sound check where I was able to like walk further away off the stage and then kind of do some global EQing to my sound even before the sound check, which was really cool. So, 
you can do things like that. With these, yeah, that so is really nice. cool. Yeah, so it, it gives you nice. that option. So that's a nice thing. Yeah. I think another, another thing that we should talk about, Vlad, in your little list of tabs there, is something yeah. quite similar to this. We're still in the digital world, and it's the fact that IK Multimedia have released a new preset sharing community called ToneNet, which I think follows on quite nicely from the Kemper. This is interesting because what they're trying to do with ToneNet is almost start their own social media platform. Yeah, that, that's interesting, actually. Yeah, so. this is not just a place to share presets for Amplitude 5, but you'll have profiles that will be kind of a, a wall or a feed or whatever. You'll see the latest posts that are created. You can follow other guitarists. You can have their presets. You can share and swap and chat with others and stuff. They're really trying to build a bit of a community here. going to be really interesting to see if this one actually mm. takes off. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like IK Multimedia is a bit behind or like they're on a small, smaller kind of player in this than Positive Grid, for example, who they mentioned in the article that they have the bias effects thing yeah. and they have a tone cloud. <laughs> I don't know if like ToneNet is the best name option out there, but maybe that was the only one that's available. <laughs> but yeah, I I kind of but- like this. Uh, it's it's definitely a good way to let the people who want it have access to the presets. Oh yeah, and they do also it. mention that there will be upcoming signal chains from VIP artists and brands. So Ooh. perhaps there will be partnerships going on. I mean, they already partner with a bunch of companies to to make official sounds, like Fender mm. and Orange, I think, for an example. And if there's going to be stuff coming up in conjunction with those brands, that might be a nice way to do it. But I don't know whether there will be anything exclusive to ToneNet or not. It's just an interesting idea. Mm. I, for one, though I'm a bit of a Luddite when it comes to technology, I'm not great with social media, despite that being one of my jobs, unfortunately. But I just think when it comes to communities like this, I only have the capacity to be in so many. So this is one where it's like, another one. I've got to get another profile and start doing this. I don't know. It's going to yeah. be interesting to see how this takes off, but yeah. full marks okay. for uh, for trying to do something new. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, I don't, I'm not sure if this is a selling point for any of these types of products. But if you buy the IK Multimedia product, I think they do like a lot of kind of artist packs as well. I think our friend yeah. Daniel Gomez, for example, has promoted the Bri- official Brian May pack. This, I think that's a thing, for example. And uh, like, if you're into one of these products already, this is a great way to kind of keep you hooked to that product, I guess, and stay like now there's a community, like, and not, and not just forums where you sh- share the things. Oh, you need to put the gain on five and then turn the bass all the way down and stuff like that. You can yeah. you now share the, those things like. From a company standpoint, I think this makes sense. Exactly. Yep. I'm assuming they have a community, or like if, if and because they already probably have a fairly large community, this makes sense. But I don't think like this would make like this would be the thing that tips me 
over so that I actually end up buying the product. So, but maybe it is for some. What do I know? Yeah, from IK Multimedia Toadnet. Still, <laughs> that, that name is. I don't know. I reckon they uh, uh, they had a similar meeting to Stryman with the Strycast, and someone said, oh, yeah. no, let's, uh, let's just call it ToneNet. And then they had yeah. a bunch of other ideas and ended up using ToneNet. That's often the yeah. way, isn't it? But yeah. yeah. It, it, it I mean, was, I, it I worked for a company that named an amp Black Spirit 200. So what could I say? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And my current company... Uh, it's the amp one because that was the first amp that was made. So yeah, you know, <laughs> this is not the business really for inspired for... brand names. Yes, really looking forward to amp two. <laughs> so. Actually, it's amp X that's coming next. <laughs> so basically, I couldn't decide which number to put after after the name, so we just went with X. All right, yeah, exactly. That's not. Let's move on to other things. Chase Bliss Bongus Habit is an all-in-one delay pedal loop sampler and musical sketch pad. And right away, just based on the title, this sounds this again sounds like one of those pedals I completely don't understand. I think doesn't Chase Bliss do the is it called mood? Like a pink pedal that yep. does does something that I still don't understand what it does. Immediately yeah. just based on the title, this sounds exactly the same to me. Yeah, Chase Bliss is very much, um, I don't know what the word is, out there. Bonkers, perhaps, <laughs> like the title suggests. They, they build a bunch of different kind of very inspiring, but very kind of complex for old people like me, guitar pedals that do a bunch of interesting things which conventional pedals don't and can't do. Yeah. And there are pedals like the Mood. They have a bunch of different reverbs and delays and loopers. And these are not your standard delays and loopers, although the Habit is a delay pedal at the heart of mm -hmm. itself. A delay pedal with up to 60 seconds of delay. Which That's is a lot. Quite a long delay time. I can't so think of many songs like that would make use of that. But Yeah, exactly. Like I was just about to say like. How do you use that? But maybe some people can. So Yeah, well, the, the thing is, there is a generation of players or definitely like a, a genre of players who, who do make use of this kind of thing. Mm. And yeah, I think another thing about the habit is that you can take all that delay stuff to the next level and it's really interesting to a certain type of player for kind of live composition and for, for doing creative loops because yeah. it has another thing where it's continuously recording what you're playing on a three-minute tape loop, as they call it. So even if you've not got the effect on or whatever, it's recording what you're doing, nice. and then you can go into the pedal and get portions of the previous three minutes of what you've played and put that into your loop and add a second delay and make the pitches go up and down and do other <laughs> things to just make unique sound textures. At least that's my understanding yeah. of it. Yeah. Uh, to me, it sounds like something some people will be able to use to create a really cool musical. Yeah, I don't know. Experiences almost. It, yeah, it's an so. experience. Chase Bliss call it a musical sketch pad and well, a compositional that, uh, delay, yeah. and that that is kind of what it is for me. And I can yeah. imagine it would be an absolute um, 
an absolute joy to play and to fiddle around with for a bit and to make stuff and make freeform compositions or whatever and, you know, improvise. But for me personally, again, as a more standard song-structured bass player, that's where I'd struggle to use this pedal because <laughs> you're always coming up with new loops and stuff. Can you play the same thing twice if you've got a three-minute loop going on? I'm not sure you can. I mean, I'm sure you yeah. can, but I'm not sure I could. That's what I'm trying to say. And I would end up using this pedal more like a standard delay pedal, which is totally not what it's there for. Yeah. And like for the price they're probably asking for this, you could get like a, well, a proper delay pedal as well. Yeah, three yeah, I mean, it's, it's US dollars. $400. So yeah, similarly priced to a lot of the big box delays, a lot more expensive than... For example, the Line 6 DL4 Mark II that just came out. Same mm. price as the big Boss Space Echo RE202 that just came out. Again, yep. uh, I mean, another massive delay pedal this week. This is a different one. It's for a different kind of player, but what a year for delays 2022 has been. 2022, the year of delay. The year of the delay, exactly. And <laughs> yeah, I mean... Start. Planning our, like, it's clear from what we've just been speaking about that this is a delay pedal that is not specifically aimed at us. So if you're listening to this, yeah. go to the video or just go to the Chase Bliss website, watch a couple of the explanation videos, mm. and hopefully you'll understand a little bit more. I mean, there are some beautiful yeah. noises that are being made in those videos, but it's um, I think it's definitely an acquired taste, and I think it's also something you have to learn how to master, and it's kind of an effect that you'd have to want to use to, to make the most of it and others yeah. need not apply. Yeah, and as with all, pretty much all Chase Bliss pedals, I think, did I say the six or eight dip switches inside that also allow you to tweak the pedal? Yeah, the, the dip switches are on. If you look at the pedal pad there, you can see a little red line at the top of it. They're on a panel on yeah. the top side. And ah, there's about, there. I think there's about 12 dip switches. Nice. No, there's more than that. I guess. Let's have a look. I'm on the official website. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's 16 dip switches on the back there as well. And they all have okay, cool. massive effects okay. over the sounds and what you can do with it, of course. So just discovering <sighs> kind of what this pedal can do would take a long time. Yeah. But, they, but then again, on the other hand, and we may have talked about this before, but that's kind of really cool because when you buy this, it's just a journey. Like you, you might may have had it for three years, and then you decide to dive into the dip switches, and suddenly you find like five new things that you love about it. So that's really cool. Sounds like you're getting your money's worth, even though like you're kind of just getting a, a delay pedal, but not really. You're getting a lot. So yeah, I, I know what you mean. Lot. And I mean, in a sense, it would be discovering new things kind of as part of what the habit delay is. Mm. Whereas, for example, if you buy something like the Strymon Timeline or the DL4, you're probably going to be spending years kind of getting to know all of the different delays on there. But those are different kinds of delay that you apply to different sorts of songs. And what's yeah. in the habit, the dip switches there will just alter the way that you uh, that you compose with that pedal. Yeah. Yeah, I like what they're doing. It's very, very, very different. And like, Chase they're Bliss not aiming is for, yeah. instantly recognizable, always yeah. unique, great design, a really strong brand. Yeah. Yep. They, they know what they're doing. Yep. 
they do. And the company that also knows what they're doing. <laughs> it's very smooth transition. Game machines have released the Worm 2 distortion. It's smaller and fiercer. And it's basically their Boss HM2 style circuit. And I've heard it on videos. I'm trying to remember what I've tried it. It sounds just a lot of fun. Uh, it's Did you have down. the original? Uh, no, I had the fuzzly bear, which actually kind of looks a bit similar to the worm. But the fuzzly bear, which is more... It's a more traditional fuzz type of thing. Like, it's a fuzz that... Well, this is going to sound silly, but it sounded like a proper fuzz, but it kind of works around some of the issues you might have with, like, classic fuzz faces and such. And yeah. it was just very easy to operate, and it just worked with all the other pedals really well. Yeah. But, yeah, the original Worm is, like, a bigger pedal, just physically bigger pedal, and... I think it might have more controls than the Worm 2, but maybe not. And maybe the controls yeah. on the Worm 2 are just smaller. It seems to have a bunch of Could small be. control yeah. knobs on it. Yeah. Actually, they've added two more bands, like EQ bands. for. So it's actually a really tweakable distortion. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, they talk about the, uh, like, there's an HM2 mode, so you get the classic kind of chainsaw character of the high mids, but then there's a K-Mare mode, the EQ is more balanced, less pointed, and slightly wider in response. And I also like the article mentions, like, if this is too middle of the road, they put it in quotes, you can just choose and use both at the same time <laughs> and mix them up, so nice. Yeah, KMA have like definitely they have their own thing going on and I like it a lot. So well done. I'd love to try this out. I've heard some clips and like I kind of like the HM2 sound. Like it would be fun to be able to use it every now and then. Just for for the fun of it. So yeah, nice. I think you might have seen video from our friend Colin. Yes, there's a video. If you check out the article at ginnews.com, you'll find all the videos and all the info on this pedal as well, as always. And priced very competitively as well. 200 What's euros. What's the price? 199 euros. 199 euros. Yep. Yeah. Made in Germany, of course. So that's, that's a decent yep. price. That is. Uh, all like the packaging these pedals come in and stuff like that came at us it's just really cool like the packaging yeah, like, and everything is like so very environmental friendly for example I like that yeah like Chase Bliss definitely have their own thing going on but so do KMA when it comes to their aesthetics and their yeah. sustainability practices and stuff very cool yep yep from KMA stuff to what is this? Acon amplifiers and wheels the PV Decade inspired solid state preamp pedal based on Josh Holmes' secret weapon amp. And that pedal like literally looks like an amp. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very interesting design for a pedal. Like if you're just listening to the podcast, we highly recommend you check out the link 
in the show notes because what is that? There's no photos of this. There isn't. Oh yeah, man! But that is what it is. And again, like Acorn Amps know exactly what they're doing with this. I mean, Josh from Queens of the Stone Age is an incredibly popular guitar player. You know, loads of people are massive fans of Queens of the Stone Age. Um, they have a very recognizable guitar tone, and yeah, it came out not too long ago that one of the main kind of components of his tone was this tiny little PV Decade solid state <laughs> practice amp. And our good friend Eirik from Living Room Gear Demos is a huge Queens of the Stone Age fan. And let's just take a second yep. to congratulate Eirik on reaching 100,000 subs on his YouTube channel. Yay! We're applauding well him. Deserved. Well done, Eirik. But Eirik has spent a lot of time getting the Queens of the Stone Age sound right, you know, going through the right kinds of guitars. And he ended up getting a PV Decade as well, doing mm. a bunch of different tones with it, getting close to that Queens of the Stone Age sound. And now the prices for that tiny little, not amazing <laughs> practice amp have gone absolutely through the roof. So now I think what Acorn Amps are doing is letting people achieve that just with a simple pedal. And I'm sure yeah. that Irik is going to be doing a video of this and that is going to be the one to watch. Yeah. I really hope he does. I actually remember that video and it was really fun. Like <laughs> that amp, it, it sounds pretty bad by itself, but when paired with everything else, that's kind of part of just Holmes rig, then it all of a sudden actually works pretty well, which is kind of, yeah, it's fun. It's good, bad, bad, good, something like that. It, it's not like yeah. it's so it's, bad that it's good, but it, yeah, it just works in that context. So. Yeah, and it's like, a, it's definitely a unique tone, you know, you, you recognize him straight away. Yeah. It's thick and dirty and lo-fi and a bit nasty. And of course, he's always playing in a, a low tuning like drop C or whatever. And it, it just works. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing Eric taking this one for a test drive. So I hope he's got one on the way. Need to ask Yes, Eric, if you're listening, let us know when the video will be out. Please. Please. Yeah. But that kind of wraps up the news part of the show. But before we head out for the weekend, there's something we think you should watch. Or oh, actually this week, we're going to do it differently. Not something you should watch, but something you should listen. Imagine that. Listening to something instead of watching. Yeah, we can watch, we can listen. Should I, should I have renamed the section? I don't no. know. Let's do it. Nope. Yeah, let's do it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Video. It's not like you have anything else to do. Because you don't have anything else to do, what we think you should do is to listen to not that thing. I'm just clicking the wrong buttons. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so Corey Wong, the guitar player for Wolfpack and just, I guess you can call him a solo artist as well. He has a podcast called Wong Notes, which, first of all, is beautifully named. Corey Wong has a podcast named Wong Notes. That's one. It's cool. Uh, what I didn't know, like, this is season five already of the podcast, and I'm only now like aware of the fact that it exists. And as I think this was the latest episode, he has John Mayer on the show and they actually do like two parts. The first part is like two hours of them just talking 
about music and guitar playing. And what I love about this podcast, whether like whether you like Cory Wong or John Mayer, I think what makes this like worth listening is the fact that these two guys clearly a really know each other's music. They really like each other's music and they really appreciate what the other one is able to do. And like, it doesn't feel like a clash of egos, but like a mutual appreciation. And like, they really, really go deep into like influences and making it in the music industry in 2022 and nerd out about guitars. And like, I think uh, they had a like a proper discussion of like, I think John asked, uh, like, like just kind of almost forced Corey to answer, like, if somebody buys your signature guitar, Corey's guitar, that is, uh, is it exactly the same that he's playing? And Corey says yes. And then John said that that was one of his main criteria when he started working with PRS, that when somebody buys a Silver Sky, it's exactly the same that he's playing. He doesn't get, like, a special edition that is handcrafted by uh, some secret luthier, Master Luthier that PRS has. Nope. He's getting, he, like, those are the guitars. He, like, the guitars you can buy are exactly the same. You know, like, they go through, it's like a two-hour podcast, plus there's, like, a playing, there's a second episode where they dive more into, like, playing stuff. Uh, They go through so many topics that I'm trying to cram everything into my brief of or like an ad for this podcast, but it just gonna say it was really good, and I need to listen to more of his podcasts because that was fun. And I love like they did a great job of like uh, including guitar playing into a podcast because they have clearly had some like amps properly mic'd up and everything, and all the levels and everything were, were like really well set. So like. If one of them were giving like playing examples, you could really like, like it was really well done, even without having the visual aspect. So that was cool as well. And there was something else I wanted to mention about this, but I just forgot. Yeah. Can you watch this or is it really audio only? Seems like it's just audio only. Okay. No, that's Which cool. That's, way, that's what a podcast like... is, after all. I, I yes, was just checking this one. supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah two, I two of the bigger podcast... names in gear right now. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, gear and just both of this online presence is ridiculous. Like, obviously, I think part of Corey's career is has been like doing the YouTube thing. Like, he really embraced oh, that. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, yeah. it's, it's part of his greatness, I'd, I'd like to think so. Uh, One thing yeah, I still like, haven't seen anywhere yeah. is that Corey Wong signature pedal that we featured, mm. what, a couple of months ago, maybe? Yeah. When is that coming out? That's what I want to know. I'm not, so I'm going to listen to the sure. podcast and see if they talk about it. Yeah. Uh, I think... I'm to, to, Oh, yeah. There was like something I also want to highlight... Uh, Corey asks John whether he would ever like write an, an instrumental song, and John pretty much says no because he just can't. <laughs> like <laughs> things like that, it's it, it's really like or something in that ballpark at least. For, like was his answer? Like he just says like, 
Oh, and I also love like how John is very open about his like vocal range. For example, he pretty much says that he wishes he had like, like a better vocal range because it's like when he writes songs, he really has to limit it to a certain like vocal range, and he has to play in certain keys and stuff like that. And what's his voice cool to kind see. of like? Because I don't listen to a lot of John Mayer stuff. I mean, the the stuff that I have listened to in the past, he's kind of a a baritone, right? He doesn't go he's up a baritone to Sam Fender highs, for example. Yeah, he's a baritone, and yeah, he basically talks about that to some extent. Well, that's least, cool. I mean, it's just just a great listen. Whether you're a fan yeah, of I'm gonna either of these one. musicians, I think it's worth your time. So, after you're done listening to Cat Pick Fridays, be sure to check this out. I think uh, it's pretty much available anywhere on any podcast platform as is Catholic Fridays as well. So Wong Notes, so W-O-N-G Notes. And you'll find it. So have fun listening to that one. And this wraps up Catholic Fridays, episode number 57. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Uh, ways to support what we do in the show notes as is everything we mentioned here as well. Like all the articles and videos and stuff like that. So... Be sure to check those out. Have a great weekend. Except predictions for next week. Are we doing this weekly? I like. Let, let's do this weekly. I think we should do it weekly. So predictions for next week. What mm. will be released by the time we shoot the next one? Well, Fender did their wasp in a beer can this week. So <laughs> next week, I predict. We've had a bunch of delay pedals. I reckon there's going to be a pretty nice reverb pedal coming out in the next week. Mm. I'd like to say that's a safe choice, but then again, what isn't? (laughs) Yeah, good. Okay. Uh, A (laughs) 13-string baritone ukulele then. That's an unsafe choice, but it's also clearly not going to happen. That's why I went safe. It goes to the unlikely category. Okay, no, let no, me no, I... let me not say reverb then, because your your very risky transparent overdrive one from last week didn't come off either. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me try and find another brand who hasn't released that much recently who could do something. I reckon it's about time that we saw something new from Dan Electro. Hmm, interesting. I don't know why. It's a brand that came into my head. Yeah. Um... I'm going to say, oh, what am I going to say? I'm trying to remember like, which brands have already released this stuff as of late. Um, I'm going to guess there will be a new Boss pedal next week. Absolutely no idea what it is, but I have a feeling there could be a boss pe- new Boss pedal next week. Interesting. You never know. Keeping it, yeah, keeping it a bit wa- vague, but yeah. I'm going to roll with that one. <laughs> Just because I can, I guess, or something like that. But yeah, have a great weekend and we'll see you next week. Follow us on all the socials as well and links and everything in the show notes as always. And yeah, as we do here in Cat Pick Fridays, bye podcast. Bye podcast. Bye podcast.